This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. At times, the torrent of bad news on the economy, on the climate, on the war in Europe can be exhausting. And in Australia, more and more, people are simply turning it off. But despite the news reflecting a grim picture of our society, some of Australia's best writers, including Helen Garner and Tony Birch, have found happiness among the chaos. So how do we find joy without turning away from the world's biggest issues? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Assistant Editor for Features, Selena Ribeiro, about happiness. It's Friday, the 17th of February. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Selena. Good morning, Welcome Gabs. Welcome to your first newsroom Welcome, edition. Selena. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. Lenore, we usually talk about politics and hard news in this show, but we're not today. Tell us what we're going to be talking about and why. Okay, it's a bit of an experiment and I know Friday show listeners will pick straight away that this is not our usual fare and we will, for the main, always talk about the serious news, but I do think that in the media we need to temper serious news with other things, you know, stories of the heart, stories that get us thinking about other aspects of life. So today we're going to be talking about happiness, prompted by a series that Selena and her team commissioned over summer, which was asking wonderful writers to pen an essay on the topic, What Makes Me Happy Now? And I love this series so much and it made me happy all summer. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Selena, so why don't I start with you? Why did you commission this series? There's lots of conversations about happiness. We saw politically happiness has been discussed a little bit. It's been thought about in terms of well-being indexes and things like that. And then we ran a feature middle of the year, which featured the Buddhist nun, uh, Rabina Corton, talking about what makes her happy or how to find happiness in a crazy world. And it, there was a really good response to that article. And we just felt there's something here that we can really pick apart about happiness that isn't telling people how to do it mm. and how to measure it and how to pursue it. And I feel like that's quite anxiety making. So we wanted to go to something that was a bit meaningful and a little bit intimate, which is why we sought out kind of Australia's best writers and thinkers to really pick apart what actually makes them happy, which seems like such a trite question. Mm. But they said it was really tough. They mm. all said it was really tough. It's really tough. Like if you took a moment to step back and think about what makes you happy, initially it will come up with lots of cliches. Yeah. And then you want to turn away from those cliches because it's a cliche. And then I think sometimes you come full circle and it is 
maybe that moment in the morning when you get to see the sunrise before anyone else in your house is awake or kind of coming to accept that and shining a light on the fact that happiness exists Mm. and we can talk about it. So what did we learn from all these different pieces? Mm. So I think a couple of the pieces had a kind of similar theme, if you like, about happiness happening in sort of mundane moments, in everyday moments that you're not aware of at the time. You're not aware at the time, oh, this is the moment when I'm really happy. Yeah, It kind of sneaks up at you from the side. It's not winning the award, achieving the thing, climbing the mountain. It's like much more prosaic stuff. So Tara June Winch wrote about well, first of all, she wrote about how she'd not really ever thought about this before. And then she wrote about being connected with nature and feeling those ordinary moments of dancing and swimming and surprising silly stuff like that. And she said, the moment just before the thought to take a photograph, not a photograph itself, was the moment when you're happy. I love that Which, line. Yeah, I thought was brilliant. And she also sort of cast it in the perspective of needing the juxtaposition with pain and unhappiness to understand happiness. And I think Helen Garner had a similar kind of take. She sort of talked about happiness as being the thing you see out of the corner of your eye, it kind of sneaks up on you. And that she then sort of did this long list of tiny daily moments that make her happy, which I just loved. It was really brilliant. And I've got to admit, that's kind of how I look at happiness too. I've got this excerpt from Bay Weldon's book, Female Friends, and I've had it pinned beside my bed for like 40 years, which is the advice from an older woman to a younger woman about happiness being just those moments one by one in life, you know, and that you should just celebrate them, dress up for every wedding, rejoice at every birth, take family snapshots unashamed because it's those, your whole future won't be happy. It's Mm. that collection of little moments that will make you happy. Mm. It absolutely was that. And I think there was another point when these pieces were coming in and I was discussing them with the features editor, Lucy Clark, there was a real sense that happiness was in the body too, that it was about being felt. It was about, you know, I'm, I'm really struck with Melissa Lukashenko's piece, which is framed in this horrendous, kind of structure of fear. She mm. thought there was a gunman on campus and that he was coming for them. And she was hiding. Right? Yeah. She was hiding. And then at that point she realised, actually, this is okay. I'm happy. I only wish that I'd swum in the ocean more. <laughs> and that prompted such a, it was such a provocation for me because I thought about all those moments when I haven't gone to the ocean and how wonderful it is to swim mm. in it. And it really prompted this question of what in that moment would we find yeah. the happiness yeah, that yeah. we had walked away from yeah. as well. Mm. And the beautiful thing she also said was she realised that she'd had a great life and she mm. didn't actually regret anything mm. except not swimming in the ocean more. Mm. Which And that was the same line in that piece that stuck with me. And for a whole summer holiday, whenever it was like a bit overcast, I thought, do I really want to swim? My-? No, the one thing I'm going to regret is not swimming. <laughs> well, for me, it's kind of floating. I like to float in the ocean. But I do yeah. exactly the same. I normally like to sit on the side and just stop people from drowning. But this time I was like, no, I'm going to go in and I'm going to put my head under and feel it. And I think there was something also in Tony Birch's piece about his daily routine of running. Mm. And kind of the there was a beauty and pain in that, which also came out in Tara June Winch's piece about the origins and just having this structure to his day and running and being alongside nature. And, and the physicality of yeah, it. And yeah, that absolute exertion. And so it really did seem to me that it was something about being in your body in that moment that when you take a step back, you realise that these are the 
points where I suppose it's also about feeling alive and feeling your full life force. Yeah, I guess to me it also, uh, it it requires being able to stop your mind for long enough to recognise things. That's quite difficult. Right, yeah, and that is hard, especially for journalists, right? (laughs) We're always on, we're always reading. But that's what Ashley Hay was saying in her piece, that she'd finished a really busy, really full-on job and said, I'm going to spend my time patting my dog for a while. That was her happiness. Yeah, Mm. yeah, it made me want to get a dog. (laughs) But there's such a challenge in that, especially for like a writer who's used to being serious and talking about big issues to stand up and say, actually, I just like patting my dog. But I'm sorry, that not that the whole, like, happiness is a big issue. Like, yeah. it's a really big issue. That's, I mean, you were saying about the budget, you know, and how Jim Chalmers got derided for wanting to have a wellness budget. Like, the purpose of government policy mm. should not be well-being in the population, you know, like I do think it's a really big issue. It is Mm. a huge issue and Robert Desai actually mentions this in his, the the Americans' constitutional right to pursue happiness and I've always been so inspired by that Declaration of Independence that, you know, one of our three inalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness. It's actually a noble endeavour and the, the idea that governments are there to enable us to pursue happiness. Mm. And, you know, Lenore, you just mentioned the Labor's thinking of a wellbeing budget. So is this changing? Are we going to see this government do something about our happiness? I mean, I think it's difficult to sort of figure out in concrete terms what difference it's going to make, but I certainly think it's a good thing for governments to be talking about. And I think the way they were derided by the opposition about, you know, well, you know, it's all about, you know, kumbaya and yoga mats. I mean... I don't know, look at the results of the last election. Maybe a lot of us do yoga. You never know. (laughs) I mean, it's always going to be problematic for a government because, as we've just discussed, realising you're happy is difficult. And whether a government's ever going to get rewarded yeah. for mm. like, oh, I'm feeling a bit happier. It must be because Jim Chalmers has really <laughs> thought through. Budget. Thank yeah. you, Jim. Like, I don't think that there's going to be a payoff like that. But nevertheless, it should still form mm. the core business of government is to ensure its population is happy. I yeah. mean, that reflects where you are in your mental health, your economic well-being. It reflects how family structures are, are supported, how individuals are supported in all facets of their life. Of mm. course, happiness is the core business of government. It's interesting what we measure too, like how we measure things. So, you know, NAPLAN measures school results. But a woman I know has been talking to me for a while about why shouldn't we have a measure of school well-being, of student well-being? Like, as a parent choosing a school, isn't that as important to you for your child as the academic results that the school achieves? And yet we don't measure that. Mm. I think she's got a really good point. Mm, Absolutely. And I think when you think about aspirations for yourself and your family, it is always that your loved ones are happy. And so it... It's like your baseline thing. If you're happy, then it's pretty much okay. And again, it sounds so trite. It just sounds so trite that it almost feels, you know, it's almost embarrassing to say. Yeah. But it is hugely meaningful. It is the point of all of this is that we are able at least to experience moments or have the conditions for happiness because Mm. otherwise, what are we all doing? 
I think it's interesting, Selena, that the Scandinavian countries are so renowned for their populations being the happiest on earth, but the governments don't focus on happiness as an end in itself. They focus on elements of social cohesion, what creates social cohesion, Mm. and then the population ends up happy. Well, I think there's a really interesting distinction between the American conception of the pursuit of happiness, which is an individual pursuit, with that idea that your happiness is interrelated with the happiness and well-being of other people. It's a really telling distinction, I think, between the approaches from both countries. So what is our role as journalists, editors, media? Lenore, what do you think the media's role is in inducing happiness or helping people to find happiness? I mean, it's not our main responsibility. We're here to provide people with the news. We're here to tell people what's happening in the world. That is our core business. So, you know, that's the starting point. But as a society, you know, we've been through three years of incredible trauma with the pandemic and we're all living with the existential anxiety of global heating and its sort of effects in our daily lives and in our communities. You know, there's so much sort of disruption and trauma around that I think it is a valid topic for us to look at. I think it's valid for us to look for solutions and for hopeful pieces. And I think it sometimes really is a valid thing for us to step back and to just consider how all of this makes us feel and how it impacts on us as humans and to kind of put it in a spiritual perspective, dare I say. Yeah. You know, Miles Herbert, our producer, found this really interesting article arguing in favour of joy becoming a news value, which I thought, wow, what a great way to think about it. And, you know, Kath Viner, our global editor-in-chief, in her essay about the challenges for journalism in a time of crisis, wrote about hope being one of the fundamental tenets of what we do because despair is just another form of denial and hope is the thing that gives us capacity to act together to affect change. So, Yeah, I think we have a role in this as well as just providing you with the news. I would be really interested to know what our readers and listeners think about this too. I mean, I'd really appreciate feedback via Twitter or however. I really want to know what people think. Selena, as the features department, you're often asked to provide us with some joy. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think about that and how do you go about coming up with kind of joyful pieces? Well, the thing is that Joy and happiness exist. So in terms of like being the joy delivery device um, for for the Guardian. (laughs) They're at joy division. (laughs) (laughs) We are are the fun team. Um, We are aware that a news organisation has to be balanced and we do need to have hope and solutions alongside the very, very important role of highlighting things that are wrong or things that are failing or things that need to be improved. So in terms of finding the joy, it really is just by being in the world (laughs) and just finding those little threads that you can pull on that will reveal something a little bit new, a little bit off the new cycle that can take us out of the new cycle and out of your moment. And there's also like a real problem with news fatigue. I mean, people get exhausted by the news. And I think on the news site as a whole, it's really great if you've just read a story about the fact that, you know, global heating is reaching the tipping point or that inequality is increasing or any other of the stories that might make you feel, you know, anxious, having some other light and shade, some other piece to read about a different aspect of life, engaging a different aspect of your brain and your heart is a good thing. Mm. Mm. I mean, we're not here for entertainment. Mm. You know, if you want joy, if you want just to have a laugh, 
the newspaper or online media is not going to be where you turn to, and it shouldn't be. We're not here to just bring joy, but we are here to reflect the kind of gamut of experiences that we have in this country and in, and globally. And some of that is going to be a story about like a teenage Irish dancer who's won the world title three times over. Oh, I did love that story. <laughs> and his dancing. I know. He was so great. And, and sometimes it's about, you know, a bit of pitch that's dripping slower than any other substance in, in the world. Like it, it's just about reflecting the full gamut of what... The curiosities of mm, life. Yes, yeah. exactly. Next, something's out there floating in the summer sky. 99 spy balloons go by. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So now we come to what we can't get out of our head, but because we've already done the light, maybe our what we can't get out of our head might not be so light this week. Lenore, what can't you get out of your head? So I really don't know if this is light or heavy because <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, but the thing is that the whole balloon thing, the balloon thing, the United States has shot down four flying objects, only one of which they know for sure, or they think they know for sure, was some sort of Chinese spying balloon. It was the size of three buses. I have so many questions. Mm. Like, the other three things they shot down may well have been space junk that was shot down at massive expense. But I'm just thinking, like, surely there are more sophisticated spying mechanisms in this day and age than a balloon the size of three buses <laughs> that everybody can see. What happened to the pens? I mean, I just... And then it's saying that China's doing this across all allies, but we're saying, no, there's been no balloons here because the drawn over the horizon radar would have seen them like, would it? Anyway, I, I have so many yeah. questions. But the only thing that made me feel sort of slightly reassured as the questions about the whole balloon thing swirled around my mind, and I have listened to many podcasts and read every story about the balloon things yeah. and nobody's answering the questions. Anyway, the chief of ASIO, Mike Burgess, declined to comment when he was asked whether any actual or threatened incursions over Australia had happened, but said he was unaware of any unidentified aerial phenomena. But he did say... In my experience, that is not the principal means by which people are spying on this country. And I thought, phew, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I just think there's a comfort in an old school Cold War spying story. I know, Nina, I just right? Like Nina had it right. My <laughs> favourite song, 99 Luftballoons. She had it all, she had it there. I've been warned not to ask the to sing. You can't ask me to sing. 
<laughs> Selena, what can't you get out of your head? I'm going to stay resolutely in the joy space and um, reflect on our story about all the terrible Valentine's Day oh, promotions. Gosh. But the best ones <laughs> were the government ones. Labor really pulled it out of the bag, particularly Bill Shorten's crew. He had a um, tweet, roses are red, my gov is blue, our my gov app is easy to use. I just think oh, I, I really. even rhyme. And, and then they started to troll the Guardian for criticising their memes as well. And I just thought it was wonderful. I really. Wasn't there someone else in that story who tried to link Valentine's Day to untreatable gonorrhea? Yes. Oh, yes. Someone sent our science writer, Donna Lou. Wow. <laughs> just wow. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. <laughs> thanks, Selena. Thanks, Gabs. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening right now. We'll link all the brilliant pieces on happiness in the show notes. So please do go there and check it out. And you'll notice Lenore asked for feedback. We do have an email address at Full Story. It's fullstory at theguardian.com. We'd love to know what you think. This episode was produced by Niles Herbert and Camilla Hannan. Our theme music was composed by Joe Koning. And we'll see you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.